We believe, Lord, they have a good word for us tonight. So, Lord, bring us to you, we pray. And we thank you, Lord. Be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Please turn, if you would, to Mark chapter 14, verse 18. I asked Rob if we could do communion tonight because that's what the study is going to be on. We're going to be talking about communion, what it means, and why the Lord instituted it for us. Communion is not for unbelievers. It's for the church. It's something that the Lord gave to the church. He gave us two traditions, baptism and communion. And communion is for those who have received the gift of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. It's for the church. But what is the purpose of communion? Why did Jesus give us this tradition? He said, do this in remembrance of me as often as you do it. As often as you take the bread and the juice or the wine, uh, do this in remembrance of me. It's to remember him and what he accomplished. You know, and you have to ask, why does he want us to remember him? Did he think we were going to forget him? It's because we tend to drift. In Revelations, the first letter to the churches, to the church of Ephesus, the most important letter, I believe, in, in among those letters, it says, Jesus tells the church, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. If we are not brought back to our first love, we tend to drift. And that's why the Lord gave us communion, to bring us back. We tend to drift. If we're not brought back to that first love, and the farther, the more we drift, the dimmer the light gets until finally it goes out completely. Communion is a time of renewal. It's not that the process of eating the bread and drinking the juice does anything, but it's the awareness of what it represents, the body and blood of Christ which was shed for us, to bring us back to that first love, to that joy of the Lord. John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And that's the purpose for communion, to behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So in Mark 14, um, before this verse, Jesus was in the house and he was anointed with precious oil by who we believe is Mary. Some complained because she was anointing him. And they said, Why wasn't this used and give money to the poor? And Jesus said, why are you bothering her? She's anointed me for my burial. She's done a good work for me. And Judas has already made his deal to betray Jesus for money. And they have gone to the upper room and prepared the Passover. So they're all in there eating the Passover. And in Mark 14, verse 18, it says, Now, as they sat and ate, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you who eats with me will betray me. And they began to be sorrowful and to say to him one by one, Is it I? And another said, Is it I? So you can just picture it. They're all sitting around the table. And one by one they're asking, Jesus says, One of you is going to betray me tonight. And they began to be sorrowful. It was a shock. And each one of them began to say, Lord, is it me? Am I the one that's going to be doing it? The apostles weren't known for, for saying a lot of right things sometimes. Sometimes they would speak in the flesh. They would be arguing sometimes about who is the greatest, who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom. 
and they were saying things like, we're going to see, you know, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you, Peter says. They were jockeying always for position in the kingdom. But this is one of the more real moments for the apostles. Is it me, Lord, is it me? Am I capable of this, of betraying you? The realization and confession of weakness that I am capable of this. Uh, someone who goes to an Orthodox church told me that there is a Russian word that I well, can't even remember how to pronounce it. But the word describes the sudden horror at the realization of one's own depravity. We're saved by grace. We're kept by grace. The Bible, and we hear grace defined as receiving what I don't deserve. And the Bible says grace for grace. I think more to the point, not only receiving what I don't deserve, but receiving what I have disqualified myself to, to, to receive. God's goodness to us for no reason except the nature of God, and it's always in spite of us. Psalm 25, 6 says, Remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindness, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth for my transgressions or my transgressions. According to your mercy, remember me, for your goodness sake, O Lord, for no reason. According to your mercy, remember me, for no reason except because of your mercy, because of your goodness. When I come to the Lord's table, there are three things that I bring to the Lord's table when I come to communion. Sin, guilt, and shame. And when we walk away from the Lord's, what do we take away from the Lord's table? When we walk away from the Lord's table, we walk away clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Galatians 20, one of my favorite verses, it gives a lot of comfort. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And David said in that psalm, do not remember the sins of my youth. And when I think of my youth, I cringe. I can't ever remember a time when I wasn't a rotten kid or a rotten teenager. Um, but David says, do not remember. And I'm very, I take a lot of comfort in the fact that Paul says here, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. That person who did all that stupid stuff, that sinner, no longer lives. It's Christ who lives in me. You know, that should set us free and give us a lot of comfort. And the life I now live, I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. This is what happens when we have communion at the Lord's table. We, we remember, and that joy causes us to live by faith, and that's what pleases God, when a person lives by faith. You know, I tell the kids in Sunday school what it means to live by faith. It means, let Jesus take care of you. We know our need for God's blessings every day. Every day I know, I, Lord, I need your blessing today. I can't live without it. I won't survive. Sometimes we think we're doing pretty good. You know, I think the Lord will bless me today because I've been doing pretty good. I feel, you know, I feel pretty spiritual tonight. It's Super Bowl Sunday, and instead of being in my nice warm house on my recliner, I braved the elements and I came to church. So I'm feeling pretty spiritual. Of course, if Buffalo was playing, it might not be so spiritual. In fact, I know it wouldn't. <laughs> 
Um, you know, sometimes we feel good about ourselves. We, I, you know, I got up early to read today. I've been in prayer. I even took a step of faith and witnessed to someone. Surely the Lord's going to bless me today. No. God, if God has chosen to have mercy on you, and I believe he has chosen to have mercy on every person in this room, if he has chosen to have mercy on you, he is going to have mercy on you, regardless of what we have done or haven't done. If we don't do those things, prayer, the word, going, being in fellowship. If we don't do those things, we're just hurting ourselves. We're missing out. Church, his word, serving in the church are solely for our benefit. The apostles had a sudden realization that they were capable of not just denying the Lord, but outright betrayal. Lord, is it me? You know, are we aware of what we are capable of, given circumstances? Do we see our need to be kept by grace? 1 Corinthians 10.12 says, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Paul said, No good thing dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. If we knew the full extent and the full impact of that statement, that within us no good thing dwells, if we knew the full extent of that, we would lose hope. But if we knew, if we knew how bad it is, we would lose hope. But if we knew the full extent of how good it is in Christ, our bodies would not be able to contain the joy. Someone told me that their pastor gave a sermon and the topic was that we should be in a constant state of repentance and dependence on his grace. And I agree with that because I know there's no sin that I'm not guilty of. And there's no sin that I'm not capable of. So how do we keep ourselves from the sin that we are capable of? The Bible says, keep yourself in the love of God. That's where it's safe. Keep yourself in the love of God. So how do we do that? How do we keep ourselves in the love of God? Is it by our works or our behavior? If I do good, am I in that bubble of God's love? And that's what keeps me there as long as I keep doing good. But if I sin, if I mess up, am I kicked out of that bubble? No, it's by remembering what Christ has accomplished. That's how we keep ourselves in the love of God. And we remember by coming to the Lord's table like we're going to do tonight. Verse 20, he answered and said to them, It is one of the twelve who dips with me in the dish. The Son of Man goes just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had never been born. And here we see the true heart of Judas. Judas has been, trade, been, been portrayed in a lot of different ways. He's been portrayed as a victim in some literature and movies and stuff. He's been portrayed as a pawn. But here we see how much he hated Jesus. It was just pure hatred for Jesus. A hatred leading to insanity. Here's this man who has proven himself in the eyes of Jesus to be the son of God. And the son of God is pointing at Jesus and saying, Judas, I'm sorry, he's pointing at Judas saying, Judas, this path that you're going on, this decision that you've made, it would have been better for you if you had never been born. If Jesus said that to me, I would definitely change direction. But Judas continues down that path, even after hearing that. It is better for you if you had never been born. He goes through with the betrayal, hatred leading to insanity. The farther away a person gets from God, 
excuse me, the more spiritually and mentally unbalanced they become. Look at the life of Saul, what happened to him. I've heard people ask, you know, why does Satan keep going? He knows his end. He knows the scriptures better than we do. He knows how it's going to end, and yet he keeps going. He keeps trying to destroy, do much as, as much destruction and cause as much death as possible. He knows his end, and I don't begin to understand the relationship between God and angels. I don't understand how does a creature referred to as the light bearer, a cherubim standing in the very presence of God, how does that creature rebel against God whom he has seen? That I don't understand. It's an incomprehensible hatred leading to insanity, which explains the insanity that's happening in the world around us, the insanity that's happening in our country today, in our culture. The world is reflecting its ruler, an insane angel. So how do we have peace in the midst of insanity that's going on around us? We come to the Lord's table. We eat of the bread of life, and we live by the blood of the covenant. We remember. We remember what Jesus has done for us, what he's accomplished. Verse 22, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them and said, Take, eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. The word communion speaks of intimacy shared, spiritually or mentally. Speak, you know, think of Adam walking in the garden. He walked with God. He had communion with his God. If you read history, in the 19th, in the 19th century, Communion was an integral part of every service that people had back then in, in a lot of denominations. They referred to it as coming to the Lord's table. And in some denominations, there had to be evidence that a person was converted before they per could come to the Lord's table. And people come to the Lord's table today for different reasons. In the Catholic Church, they believe that the bread and the wine is literally turned into the body and blood of Christ, and that's how you re person receives Christ, by consuming the bread and drinking the wine. For some people, it's just a ritual, something that doesn't have much meaning. It's just something we do. Oh, we're having communion tonight. It's, a, it's just something we do. For some, it's a time of returning to the Lord, a time of repentance. As David said, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. And it should be a time of rejoicing, communion, coming to the Lord's table and remembering our salvation, remembering what Jesus has done for us. And remembering, thinking about what we have, what the future holds for us because of what Jesus did for us. I heard someone say recently that we're standing on the border of forever and soon we will cross over that border and live there forever something we have to look forward to. We're standing at the border of forever. In Ephesians, that letter we were talking about to the, to, to the church at Ephesus, he said, you're doing good things, but you left your first love. If you don't repent and return to that first love, the light will go out. So how do we return, how do we return to that joy? How do we return to that first love? we come to the Lord's table. In these last days, we need strength to stand in the days that we live in. Ephesians 6.12 says, 
For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. We don't wrestle against people. We don't wrestle against governments. We wrestle, we wrestle against powers, against rulers of darkness in this age. It's a spiritual battle, and we need strength. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is your strength. There is no other source of strength for us living in these times that we're living in other than having that joy of the Lord, that joy that comes from knowing Jesus. Verse 26 says, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. And here we see the grace of God. He tells them, You guys are all going to desert me tonight. You're going to fail miserably tonight. But I will, be, I will rise from the dead and meet you in Galilee. You're going to fail me, but I'm not going to fail you. I'm not going to cast you away because of your failure. You're going to receive from me something even more glorious than anything you've ever experienced in the past, eternal life through the risen Lord. Verse 29, Peter said to him, Even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. Jesus said to him, Assuredly I say to you that today, even this night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Now we're going to see the apostles go from an honest self-appraisal, Lord, is it me, to delusions of grandeur. Peter is like, these guys will probably fail you, Lord, but not me. I'll never fail you. Jesus And Jesus will tell him, assuredly I say, not only will you fail, Peter, but you're going to curse and swear that you don't even know me. You're going to fail miserably. Whenever Jesus says, surely I say, it is going to happen. Verse 31, but he spoke more vehemently. If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said likewise. So Peter is arguing with the Lord. He's saying, no, Lord, if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And they all, said, they all go from, Lord, is it me? To, Lord, if we have to die for, for you, we will never deny you. Then scan down to verse 50. Then they all forsook him and fled. We need to be aware of the I wills. We sing songs and we pray I will prayers. You know, Lord, I will follow you. I will never leave you. I will serve you with all my heart. I will do this and I will do that. The I will prayers and the I will songs. And when we sing and pray these I will songs, or pray the I will prayers, I will do this or that. We feel good about ourselves because what we're saying is good and we're saying the right things. And it is our desire because the spirit is willing. But there are times like these guys when after singing or praying all the I wills, we go out and fall flat on our faces like they did. So what do we do then when we fail? We have the desire, the spirit is willing, but we fail. What do we do? We remember. Luke 22, verse 9 says, And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Um, turn to Second Samuel chapter 23, please. These are David's last words. Pastor Rob went over this a couple of weeks ago in greater detail, but I love this, these passages because it kind of sums up our Christian walk. Second Samuel 23, verse 1. Now these are the last words of David. Thus says David, the son of Jesse, thus says the man raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob and the sweet psalmist of Israel. The spirit of the Lord spoke by me and his word was on my tongue. The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spoke to me. He who rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. So David's saying, given what God has given me, this is the way I'm supposed to be. This is what my response to the goodness of God should be. Is someone raised up by him. If we fully understand what happened on Calvary, the only proper response is, Lord, make me your servant. Make me your bondservant. Put that ring in my ear and make me your bondservant. I surrender. And we know what manner of people we should be. We know what we're supposed to be doing. We know that all the I wills should be a reality in our lives and not just words. David goes on in verse 4 and he says, And he shall be like the light in the morning when the sun rises, a morning without clouds, like the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after rain. So we also know the abundant life that comes through obedience to the word of God. David knew if I obey God, if I respond properly to the goodness of God, that abundant life happens in our lives. We know that God's desire for our lives is more glorious than what we even desire for ourselves. And in verse 5, David says, Although my house is not so with God, I know what I'm supposed to be doing, and I know the benefits of doing what God wants me to do, but my house is not so with God. I know what my response to the gospel should be. I know what my life should be like. First John 2.6 says, He who says he abides in him, ought himself also to walk just as he walked. And yet I fall short, I fail. And David goes on, he says, Yet he has made with me an everlasting covenant, speaking of David's throne, of what the God had planned for him and his family. Basically, God said to him, David, it's not what you're going to do for me, it's what I'm going to do for you. And that's the everlasting covenant he made with us. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you, an everlasting covenant that he has made with us. David says, Ordered in all things and secure, for this is all my salvation and all my desire. Will he not make it increase? You know, what could be more valuable to an individual than to know that he or she has peace with God? Just to know that God and I were good that we have peace with God. To know that this peace is secured because there is nothing we can do to secure it or keep it. But as the Bible says, he is our peace. Someone outside of ourselves is our peace with God. He is our peace. And this we remember when we come to the Lord's table. 